I'll give a bit of a warning as we begin this message today, because in this message we will again be considering how some of the truths within these scriptures make some people, perhaps most people, uncomfortable, even fearful as they hear them. Truths about our health, about our sicknesses and our diseases that we would prefer not to consider. But they're truths nonetheless. And because they're here in these scriptures, we really do need to consider these truths. In some of our recent messages, we've been considering all the many causes and the effects of sickness and disease within our daily lives. And we've considered how as Jesus went about healing the sicknesses and diseases of the people of his day, he continually encountered the involvement of demons that were deeply entrenched and interwoven within those people's health conditions. And we don't like to think about that, but Jesus did, and he told us about it here in these words. And so, as I then read through all of these scriptures, I'm convinced that yes, there really is often a clear and present connection between sickness and disease and sin and demonic involvement. And that it was not only true during the days of Jesus, but it's also true during these present days that we live in. But folks, therein is another real problem. And that is that you and I really don't want to talk about or think about the possibility that we personally might be experiencing or affected by the presence of demons. I've mentioned on other occasions that I often work ahead to prepare these messages, and as God's timing would have it, I began working on this message just after my dear wife and I were quarantined in our house suffering with this COVID virus. And I can't help, I couldn't help at the time, but to put the parts of this question that I brought up and that we'll study today, that it was all taking place together. The question again that we, that I struggle with is, are there demonic forces really involved in my personal life and in my illness with this COVID virus at the time? And yes, I can easily attribute the worldwide pandemic to the works of Satan. And you hear that preached. Preachers are saying the devil is engulfing the world with this virus. So we can easily attribute this overall pandemic to the devil. But that's not up close. That's not personal. But folks, it's an altogether different and difficult step to accept that those demonic forces were involved in my personal case of the COVID virus. And again, I do believe that this is where many of us Christians pull up short in our belief, in our acceptance of the truths of these scriptures. Many people, even some of our more reputable Bible teachers, will say that such things as demonic influence and involvement in illnesses and sicknesses and in most of the matters of life were only done during the days of Jesus. And then in the case of 
sickness. It was God's way of demonstrating that Jesus was the Christ as he would cast out those demons that were causing those illnesses. But friends, we must not be so naive that we think that such things only took place back 2,000 years ago and that they have now ceased. Scripture does not say that. We have no reason to believe that except our own desire to believe it. Why should I, why should we falter at the thought of the involvement of demons being up close and personal? Satan was very up close and personal with the Lord Jesus there in the wilderness. So why do we falter at the thought that that might be taking place with us? It was no scar upon the character of Christ. Why should I think that it would be a scar upon my character? Why should we falter at the recognition that there are demonic involvements in up close and personal within our own sicknesses and diseases during this present day? I believe, as I've thought through my own consideration, I believe it probably has to do with pride. With pride and with fear. With pride because we don't want to think of ourselves as being that weak or that someone might think something bad about us. But also fear. I believe that fear has a lot to do with it. We don't want to think those thoughts, especially about ourselves. We can think about other people at a far distance from us. We support the, uh, these missionaries in Africa. He tells us of just how much demonic activity goes on in those jungle villages. And yes, we'll believe those reports, but not about me. We don't want to think that about me. It's actually frightening to think that a demon might have gotten so close enough to me to perhaps lead me into a circumstance where I was exposed to this virus. Maybe one did. I don't know. And then perhaps even to lead me to make wrong decisions about how I should medically treat the symptoms that I was undergoing, and on and on. But the evidence of that sort of influence is spoken about over and over and over again in these scriptures, just through the first four chapters. Several times this took place, but we read about it all through the Gospels. There was a situation in the book of Mark, chapter 9, where a young boy was... He was deaf and he was mute and he would convulse and he would throw himself into the water and into the fire. In one translation, that boy was described as being an epileptic and a lunatic, using those two words. But most importantly, that boy seemed to have been an innocent victim. His illness, not of his own doing or coming from something he was doing, but from an outside source. And there in those words, it's clear that Jesus saw that this boy's illness was being caused by a demon. And he cast that demon out. So then, if it really is some form of pride or fear that keeps my eyes blinded to the involvement of demonic influences in my personal illnesses, then I really must get past that kind of foolish denial. I say that for myself. You have to decide that for yourself. If it is more comfortable 
for you to simply step back and do as our little granddaughter does. She puts her hands over her eyes. I mentioned this to you once before. I love this, but she puts her hands over her eyes and she says, uh, you can't see me. We do that. We put our hands over our eyes and we don't see the demons or their involvement. We just see the usual kinds of illnesses and diseases and we hear of other people having this form or that form of a disease and we say, oh yeah. And so we cover our eyes and pretend that it's not there. Folks, no matter the underlying causes of any of our sufferings, whether those sufferings come from casual contact with a a pathogen of some sort or they come through our genetics or they come from demonic influence, our answer is still the same. Our remedy will come through trusting ourselves completely into the care of the Lord. And whether God chooses to use doctors who will prescribe some kind of medication or he uses the power of his own personal healing touch, it all comes from him. It all comes from God. Let's read again these words in chapter 4 of Luke. And let's consider them again. This beginning in verse 38. And he, this is the Lord Jesus, arose and left the synagogue. And you recall in that synagogue there was demonic influence. And he, the Lord Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, and all those uh, who had any who were sick with them, with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, may I repeat myself on what I said a moment ago. Here once again, simple and matter-of-fact words being given where we read how demonic involvement was entrenched, entrenched within sickness and disease. And the clear message that keeps coming to you and me from such words as these is that we dare not, whether it be from pride or from fear or from ignorance or just stubbornness, we disregard or refuse to believe that the demonic world truly is involved in and around the matters of daily life such as this. We must be careful. Their existence and their influence is a reality that we must reckon with, and especially in the matters of sickness and disease. Folks, let me give us another simple example. We believe that we can walk into a room and that COVID virus is floating through the air. We can't see it, but we believe that it's there. And we believe that if we don't take measures to prevent our catching that virus, that we will. And so we put masks on. We take shots. We do whatever we can to do battle with an enemy that we can't see. But it's there. Why not also the demonic world and its influence? Again, let me say, as I've said on other occasions, our modern-day perception of demons and their activities among us, they become so distorted by the Hollywood version of who they are and what they do. 
And demons may actually take on those shapes and features. But it's obvious from these scriptures that most of the time, demonic presence and the maleffects that they produce, they go unnoticed. Well concealed, just like that virus in the air. Well concealed within the common matters of the day. Matters such as illness and disease. I would suggest to you that these dear people who lined up that day to receive Jesus' loving, healing touch truly were just common, ordinary people like you and me. They had common, ordinary sicknesses and diseases. They were in every way probably normal. And I would suggest to you that they were probably very surprised when as Jesus laid his hands on some of them and demons surfaced and came out of them. They didn't know that they were being affected by those demons. In a conversation that I was having with someone recently, we were considering the question of whether a person can know if a demon is actually influencing or even controlling their life. And our conversation went to the difference between influence, oppression, and then possession. We know from these scriptures what one form of demonic possession might look like. That's given to us in the account of this demoniac that lived near the Gadarene tombs. And I'm sure that at times the manner in which that demon possession presented itself is the way that it does take place. But is it always and only that way? Let me read that instance to you. That's in Luke chapter 8. Then they, this is Jesus and his disciples, they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out onto the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Legion is somewhere between 6,000 and 12,000, generally in the Roman military. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine were feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter into the swine, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Now, while you and I might barely be able to imagine what was taking place in this account of the demoniac possession, what it might look like, it really did take place. It took place exactly as was written here because these words are truth. And as strange as it might seem to us, we really must ask ourselves, just how different is that demonic activity from that which takes place right now all across our land? In the crack houses. What about those? Or in the meth labs. What about those? Street gangs and street gang activities. 
or in the porn shops or in the porn websites. And there are many of those, I'm told. And then, folks, especially in children's bedrooms where they are being molested by adults. How different is that demon from those demons and that activity? And then also, what about the savage slaughter that took place in the killing fields of Cambodia or the massacres that took place recently with those ISIS Muslim soldiers that were beheading those men there on public television? Also, what about the ongoing Muslim terrorists who will mercilessly blow themselves to bits while killing innocent men, women, and children. And again, even today, as we witness the merciless onslaught of the Russian army as they attack this weaker and smaller nation of the Ukraine. And when we look into the face of Vladimir Putin on the television set, do we not clearly see a demon? Do you not clearly see a demon? I clearly see a demon. I have no doubt. So many are so foolish enough to think that those horrible atrocities arise simply out of the imaginations of common ordinary people. Or as one popular expression goes, it's man's inhumanity to man. Let me say to you that we dare not be that foolishly naive. There is so much more at work in and around us than just those vile imaginations of men's hearts. But one of our problems is that most of those things take place at a distance on another continent, far away from you and me. We mostly only hear about them and see them on the news. And then, even then, we don't see the worst of the worst. But what about those things that are closer to our lives, things here and now with us as born-again believers? What about us and our friends, our relatives? My conversation with my friend went to a question. Is it possible for a born-again believer, a person who has the Spirit of Christ abiding within them, to also have the presence of a demon, either influencing or oppressing or even possessing their souls, their thoughts, their actions, their health? Is it possible? That can be a frightening thought and one that our minds so very quickly want to reject and not even consider. But we must, because these scriptures tell us to. I think of a friend of mine who spent many years in prison for all of the criminal acts that he did involving his gambling habits. And assuming from his testimony that he was one of us born-again believers, which he testified strongly to, Bible-believing Christian, we need to ask, what was taking place within his soul? Was it just foolishness on his part? What was really taking place within his soul? What's taking place even now when he is in such debilitating bad health that he can barely get around even now? And by the way, each one of you probably know at least one person, if not more, that's just like that. They were a fine Christian person for so many years, but then they were not. They fell into all of these problems and difficulties of life. So then, what are we to 
think about all of this. Let me begin the answer to that question by saying that while these scriptures do not specifically address the question as to whether or not a born-again believer can be possessed by a demon, scripture does not specifically address that question. I wish it would, but it does give ample consensus throughout these scriptures that assure you and me that as a born-again believer, we cannot, we cannot be fully possessed or owned by a demon. I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable that I will never be possessed by a demon. Strongly influenced, yes. Perhaps sometimes even oppressed, whatever that really means. But not controlled by a demon. And that consensus comes from knowing that as we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to abide within our spirit and our soul. And His presence is what Scripture calls our surety. A thing that God calls an earnest deposit. That God Himself put within our souls and He guarantees our eternal relationship with Him. And in that kind of abiding presence, we have a protection against the demonic world taking full ownership over our souls. But what about influence? What about influence? Even a strong influence. Folks, you and I must conclude that, yes, that is possible. Remember, Adam and Eve, they were not possessed by Satan. Strongly influenced, yes. Beguiled, yes. But not possessed. Satan did not indwell Adam and Eve. And also remember that these scriptures do not tell us that Peter was possessed by the devil as he tried to tempt Jesus not to die on the cross. Yes, Satan's influence was so up close with Peter that Jesus looked right into the eyes of Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. So yes, strong influence. But Satan had not entered into Peter as he did with Judas. It does not tell us that, so we have to believe that Peter was not possessed as was Judas. In another place, Jesus warned Peter by saying that Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed that your faith would not fail. And Satan did sift Peter through those last moments of Jesus' life as as Peter denied the Lord Jesus. And then I'm sure many other times over the coming years before Peter was finally martyred. But folks, we must ask ourselves, how often does Satan use our words as he did with Peter? How often does Satan sift us as wheat? And are the difficulties of this life that I'm enduring, that you're enduring, are they just happenstance? Or is there a cause? Is there a plan behind it? Here in today's scripture passage was a group of ordinary people who had come to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And some of them were sick and some of them brought others who were sick. But concealed within all of those sicknesses and diseases was the presence of demons. Listen again to these words. When the sun was setting, all of those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Folks, this is just so matter of fact. God does it this way so that you and I will not be arguing with ourselves about it. It's simple. It's true. 
We're not told what kind of diseases these people had, how the diseases manifested themselves. We can only assume that their diseases were common and ordinary, much like we suffer from. But again, residing within each or within some of those who were sick were these demons. They were the source of their illness and their diseases. As those demons were cast out, they were healed. So what should be the conclusion that you and I draw from all these words? Is all sickness and all diseases suffering brought to us by the demonic world? I personally don't know the full answer to that question, but most likely not. Our bodies are naturally weak and frail and susceptible to viruses and diseases, and many of us are born with predispositions to certain forms of sickness. But with that being said, these words surely do seem to be a confirmation that at least some of what takes place in my life has been influenced by the demonic world. How are you and I supposed to deal with those influences? We have no power within ourselves to do battle with the forces of evil. So what are we to do? First, we're to go to these scriptures. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those are plain and simple words. Now, the devil spoken about here is not necessarily Satan himself, but is surely one of the devils because that's what Satan was. He was a devil. And by resisting, by resisting him, he'll flee from us. Now, those words tell us that he really is up close. And by resisting him, he'll flee from us. So then, I personally have no doubt that even though I'm a born-again believer with the Holy Spirit living within my heart, the devil is still permitted to get up close to me sometimes. I don't know how often, but at least sometimes. But I must resist him. But how do you resist the devil? There's only one sure way to resist the devil. It is as with every other matter of our daily life, the Lord Jesus. He is our hope, our comfort, our protection, and it all comes from Him, the Lord Jesus. He is our shield and our buckler. He is our defender. All God asks us to do is each day, this is our answer now, each day as we get out of bed, we put on the full armor of God. We put on His whole armor to protect us. Listen to these words. This is Ephesians chapter 6, and it is plain and simple. You've heard it often, but I want to read it for us again. And you and I need to put this into place in our lives. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, why would God tell us to do that if He wasn't right up close? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against Vladimir Putin. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts. These are all demons. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places all around us. Therefore, listen, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore girded 
your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication of the saints. Now note in these words, and I'll be closing in just a moment. Note in these words that God gives His protection, His relief, and His guidance for any and all circumstances. And note also that God specifically began these words with a warning about the demonic forces that battle against you and me. Each part of this armor, each part of this armor gives a protection and a guidance from every form of attack, whether those attacks be physical or they be emotional, spiritual, or mental. Does God instruct you and me not to go to doctors? No, He doesn't do that. Not at all. Doctors are fine. But you can't help but notice that you or someone that you love have been going to the doctor a lot of times. But sometimes we never seem to find relief from our suffering. So when suffering comes our way, I would encourage each of us to begin first and daily with putting on, intentionally, putting on this whole armor of God. There's a comfort, there's a relief, and there's a healing to be found within God's whole armor. Let me close with this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And folks, let me just conclude with this. This is the evil day that we're living in. It's getting more evil every day. And you and I are going to live to see it get even more evil. Let's pray.